This episode is made possible by Armoire. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out. Listen, I live in Southern California. There is absolutely no need for puffer coats or any sort of those winter jackets. But when I travel anywhere else in the world in these cold months, I'm often burdened with the task of getting winter clothes. And now with Armoire, I can just rent my winter wardrobe. It's brilliant. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash datable. That is armoire.style, spelled A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. I love wine, but sometimes it can get really expensive, which is why I'm so excited that today's episode is brought to you by Last Bottle Wines. If you don't know, they're a Napa-based online wine shop with a twist. They offer just one hand-picked wine per day until it sells out, which is often in hours. So new day, new wine, always at incredible prices. We're talking 30 to 70% off retail. And the best part is that there's no subscriptions, no fees, and no minimum purchase. Just a daily email with a really great wine. They're offering Datable listeners 10% off your first order with code Datable. And now is such a great time to join is their marathon sale is coming up on March 28th and 29th. They flip that one-day rule on its head and offer back-to-back deals, which means that wines are only up on the site for a couple minutes at a time and shipping is 100% free. They send us a mini marathon package of some of their favorites and let me tell you, they were delicious. Sign up at lastbottlewines.com and use the code DATABLE and find out why Last Bottle is the most fun way to discover and buy amazing wine. The Dateable Podcast is an insider's look into modern dating that the Huffington Post calls one of the top 10 podcasts about love and sex. On each episode, we'll talk to real daters about everything from sex parties to sex droughts, date fails to diaper fetishes, and first moves to first loves. I'm your host, U.S.U., former dating coach turned dating sociologist. You'll also hear from my co-host and producer, Julie Krafchick, as we explore this crazy dateable world. Hello, Datables. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Datable Podcast. We are still in the off season in terms of how we structure seasons, but it does not mean this content is old. It's very fresh. We are a freshly (laughs) baked bagel coming for you. We smell fresh. We look fresh. It's a fresh year. The content is fresh. You know, all the fresh things. I feel like the bagel analogy is hitting as I came back from New York. Mm. I haven't had this many bagels in a week period. I can't even remember when. I think for New Year's, I'm like, I need to like do a carb refresh. No more bagels. I don't understand. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm not a bagel connoisseur, but people always say New York has the best bagels. Can you tell the difference between New York bagels and, oh. like, let's say, a bagel you get at Noah's? Absolutely. The bagels okay. What's in San Francisco, the difference? LA, it just feels much more, like, doughy. Like, it feels, mm. the ones here are, like, so dense. Mm. <laughs> There's something in the water. Mm. I don't know. Okay. As someone that grew up on the East Coast, I remember when I first came to California, that was one of the very first things I noticed. Okay, I'm going to have to do a taste test. So it's really the texture of the bagel. Yeah, definitely the okay. texture. Okay, because you know, Noah's is Noah's New York bagels that opened Yeah, but any time it's like New York, there was this pizza place, what was it, Escape from New York. It was so gross. Yeah. I feel like anytime it's the imitation New York, it's always Mm -hmm. disgusting. That's good to know. I used to think it was just like (laughs) brainwashing. New York has the best bagels. (laughs) Can only get it in New York. But maybe you're right. Maybe it's something in the water. Well, we are doing something quite different for this episode. I will be interviewing Julie. We did this last season with a different topic. So we're going to try to actually do this every season because these episodes are really fun for us to do. But it seems like you all like it too. We get a lot of listens on these. So that's cool. That's good. And how we're structuring this episode is basically we want to talk about what are some of the things that are still standing in our way. 
And sure, we've been doing this podcast for seven years. We've learned a lot. We can look back in hindsight, all the things, but also like in present day. We're all in this together. And today we're going to learn about Julie, what she is going through right now, what's standing in her way, and what are some of the behavior and mentality changes that she wants to take into the new year. I'm excited to be here as a guest. So who is Julie Krafchick? Julie Krafchick is... <laughs> oh my God, I get UA's infamous intro. <laughs> she is our co-host for the Dateable podcast. You may also know her as our producer for Dateable. She's been here since the very beginning. And you've been with your partner for over a year and a half now. Yep. Okay. Coming on to two years in April. Great. And as long as I've known you, this is the first relationship that feels like it is so much about the evolution of your partnership together. You both are learning together. You're really pushing each other forward and also having the hard conversations. And I've seen that along the way. And it's really nice to see you in a partnership where you feel like it just feels really real. And I think that's what happens when you get into these relationships after you've done seven years of a dating podcast. You like are very real about a relationship. Like there's no sugarcoating. But there obviously are always things you can be working on in yourself, in your relationship. What do you think as we enter the new year are some of the things that are still standing in your way? You know, it's interesting. I was thinking about this and we talk about dating patterns, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of the stuff that got in my way then sneaks up now in different form. Mm. So for example, when I was dating, I would say I was a bit of an overthinker. I wasn't like going on all these dates and really felt like I was that one that had all the attention. So I turned to dating books and I feel like I kind of took to dating like I would as I was studying something in school. So I was mm -hmm. like, okay, if I read this book, the rules, <laughs> why men love bitches, all the terrible books out there. But at the time, it was, you know, something to hold on to. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, if I read this, follow these steps, then I'll meet someone and it'll work out and we'll be together, we'll get married, we'll go off into the sunset. <laughs> so that was how I thought about things. Is that not how it works? <laughs> I wish it was that easy. But I think the problem was that as soon as something went a little off kilter, I freaked out. Yeah. Because I had this expectation that things would go a certain way. And I think we're all guilty of this to some degree, just given our environment and our society, is it's very milestone based, right? Mm -hmm. So I think for me, I was very stuck on, okay, Date one happens, and then I get a text from them mm. within 24 hours or three days max. If I don't get in three days, then started to freak out. And then the next date will happen within a week, and then the one after that, mm. the next week. So if things didn't go according to that plan, then my mind started racing. I was anxiously waiting by my phone, <laughs> you know, the whole shebang. Yep. And I think what I've realized now is that I've clearly overcome some of that for sure. And I can go into that more. But what I've realized is I'm still definitely attached to a lot of these milestones. Like, okay, after a year, we should be doing this. After two years, we should be doing that. And what I'm really learning is that we all process things differently. My pace might be slightly different than my partners. And it's been hard. Like, I think hard to rectify that I'm not the only one driving this. Like, a relationship is two people and you need to come together and figure out what works for both of you. So I would say that some of that, like the milestone chasing, is still something I struggle with. And, you know, it kind of feeds into my anxiety in the sense of like, okay, if things aren't 100% the way I think they should be, then like something's wrong. Mm -hmm. And it's really like trying to unlearn that, that it doesn't necessarily mean that way. And that being said, that doesn't mean I'm not going to like advocate for what I want in a relationship. So what I'm struggling with is like, how do you balance letting things, you know, progress the way they should, but also being aware of what you want in the future and not just like forgetting and repressing that those are your needs. Mm -hmm. So how do you balance those two? That's kind of my biggest struggle in a relationship. 
So, you know, I love Jay Shetty and he says something <laughs> on his podcast. He said, we focus so much on learning new things when we should actually spend more time on learning. So much of our lifetime mm-hmm. is about on learning. And what you just said is exactly that. It's like unpacking where this is coming from and also deciphering what is actually important to you and what is something that's just yeah. like so arbitrary that comes from your upbringing. What are some steps you've taken to rectify that, this balance of like, you are an ambitious person, so you still want your relationship to move along, but you don't want to put this like arbitrary milestone pressure on it. What's the thought process behind it? (sighs) Oh my God, I'm getting a therapy session on the spot. Wasn't expecting this. But you know, like I think what I'm trying to do is be a better listener because I tend to have a direction. Like you said, I'm an ambitious person. I have an idea of where I want things to go. But I'm also really trying to give the room for my partner and I both to be able to figure this out together. Mm -hmm. I think that that is something that I would also say, again, it's something from dating that's crept up here is this like need to relinquish control. That was definitely something very difficult for me in the dating process. And I feel it coming back here. So those are like the practices that I'm trying to take because I know that that's ultimately not serving either one of us. But again, easier said than done, right? But how about we do this exercise? Because sometimes it's so hard to get out of our own head when we're in this situation. So go back to five years ago. Mm -hmm. Julie from five years ago. (laughs) If you could revisit yourself from five years ago, what would you tell yourself? So five years ago, I was in the first like real relationship that I just like felt very like in love with someone. So I had relationships prior, but they never hit me the way this one did. This was, I would say, my first serious relationship. So where I was then, I was someone that never stated my needs. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there was a lot of stuff going on in his life that prevented us from like fully being to really like actually just like doing this, like getting married, doing the whole thing. Like we talked about it. But that being said, I think I was just, oh, well, I need to just let him figure stuff out opposed to me being Mm -hmm. this is what I need. And maybe I'm like overcorrecting a little now, but I think that's kind of an area that I've struggled with a bit. And I I also had can kind of blame like rom-coms in the works, but I definitely fell victim to this love conquers all myth. So Mm. we had an on again, off again relationship. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's all part of the journey. It'll work itself out. And I think I have always been someone that's like super creative, which is really good. But it also makes a lot of it. You live in your head in the fantasy. Yeah. And I was definitely doing that. I think there was a lot of that relationship now in retrospect that it wasn't really what I wanted, but I just like filled in the blank of this imaginary relationship that I did want Mm. and it wasn't reality at all. So turning point for me was, and there were actually a couple turning points for me in my dating career, I guess. Like one of them was after this breakup, like I was destroyed during this breakup. The very first time we broke up a few times after that, but the very first time was destroyed like couldn't get out of bed just completely just demolished and that was the first time I really sought out therapy Mm -hmm. and I would say that was game-changing it was a way to actually understand what was going on for me like where some of the stuff came from like what you were saying earlier like how much of it's things that you actually want versus what you're told that you're supposed to do Mm -hmm. so that helped like unravel a lot of the learnings and then the other big thing was spending more time alone. I realized it was the first time ever that I took a year dating sabbatical. So this is probably around like 33-ish. I took a year dating sabbatical, like no dates at all. I met you around this Mm -hmm. time. You probably remember. Yep. And took a year dating sabbatical. But it was the best thing that I ever did in retrospect, because I started to spend time with myself and really enjoy my own company. I realized that I was using a lot of distractions to never sit in silence and feel what I needed to feel and understand my emotions and thought processes, the whole shebang. So that was pivotal for me to really understand who I was as a person and then start to show up authentically. I was definitely in a very different place than I am now. And, you know, every relationship helps you. Relationships are the biggest reflectors of yourself, that's for sure. They really are. And I'm guessing you would say to the Julie from the past, listen, love doesn't conquer all. 
but this hard nope. time will pass. You would also mm-hmm. say the best thing you can do right now is state your needs, and that's the only thing you can do. And if you state your needs and your mm-hmm. needs are still not being met, it's not the relationship for you. And then you probably say, go take that dating sabbatical now. Go on <laughs> your own and find yourself and take yourself out on a trip and really sit with yourself. So those are the three things you would say to yourself from five years ago. Now, with what you're currently going through in mind, Mm -hmm. fast forward to five years from now, what do you think that Julie from the future would say to your present self? I think part of it is finding that partner that will meet you for sure. Now, looking back at that last partner, he just wasn't able to meet me where I was. So some of it is your own development. And we actually did kind of re-engage in a relationship around the pandemic, just kind of give it that last all. And he even said, like, you are a totally different person right now. And it's like, yep, from seven years of doing a dating podcast, very different. But I think the biggest thing was stating my needs. Like, I didn't hold back. That was something that was very different last time around. And it's something that is currently in my relationship. Luckily, in this relationship, I met with someone that wants to make me happy and wants to find a compromise. And honestly, I thought all the personal problems my ex was going through were the issue. But I actually think in retrospect, it was the fact that like he wasn't committed enough. Mm -hmm. Like my partner now, it's like this commitment to just making it work. Even if we're going through a difficult time, it's like, I'm not going anywhere. Like, we're going to get through this. Yeah. So I think that's like a big thing before I like, go into my own stuff. But I think having someone that will meet you is so core to the whole thing. I think that's worth repeating because people always think, oh, we went on two to three dates. We're not compatible or this is not the right person for me. But how do you know? It's so hard to know whether someone's compatible for you. All you know is their commitment to you. Yeah. And the compatible person for you is the one who's committed to making it work. Totally. And like my partner and I are very compatible on many ways, which is what got us to where we are today. That being said, we are two different humans. Mm -hmm. And something that from this podcast, we had Dr. Alexandra Solomon on the podcast a while back. And something she said has stuck with me. It's like every relationship has conflicts. So the biggest mistake that people are making is that they're just leaving and then going back into the dating pool. But inevitably, they're going to meet someone else and conflict's going to come up again. Maybe it will show up slightly different, but it will be there. And it makes sense when you bring two people, like my partner and I are, no, I'm not 40 yet, but I'm almost getting there. We're in our Mm -hmm. 40s. That means it's like 40 years of life without each other. Yeah. Okay. Or even conservatively 38, whatever. And that's a lot of time and things to unlearn if we're going to keep the theme of unlearning, right? We've been navigating life on our own. We've been navigating with different people. There's a lot to come together. So I feel like it's the fairy tale that once you get in a relationship, everything's going to be smooth sailing. That being said, obviously, there's more conflict than others. Like if you ever find yourself in a relationship where you're not happy at all, and you're just like, really constantly depressed, and it's not a good fit, or of course, like emotional or verbal abuse, that's one thing. But there has to be an expectation there's going to be some conflicts. Like I think if we think that there's none, we're seriously delusional. And I think for years, I just thought I had to get to the point of like DTR. And then everything Mm -hmm. after that would be easy, (laughs) easy peasy. And people don't talk about relationships being hard. They talk about dating being hard, but no one talks about relationships being hard. Eliza Schles, I still remember her stand up, the elder millennial, when she's like, people ask me, what's the secret? Like there's a yeah, key, you know, there's, there's so an underground <laughs> pathway to happiness. And also, the thing is, like, relationships are hard and sometimes they're easy and sometimes they're hard. Yeah. <laughs> like it fluctuates. Totally. It's not totally. always hard, not always easy. But something that stuck with me when we interviewed Vienna and Connor mm-hmm. was that she said, Do you leave each other better after a conflict? Yes. That's kind of like the ultimate barometer, right? If you leave a conflict and you feel terrible like shit, then that's probably not a great way to deal with the conflict. But she's like, we welcome conflict because we know we're going to leave each other better after. And that's something I will say about my partner and I is that we both said this, is that we feel like we do conflict well together, that it brings Mm -hmm. us closer. Even if it's difficult, we've gone so far. I've said to people, I feel like we've had like eight relationships 
relationships in this last yes. year and a half. It's a constant evolution. Like first six months is just the honeymoon period that you're just like head over yeah. heels, so excited to be with someone. And then you get into this stage of, okay, are we compatible? Like, are we a good yeah. fit? You know, you do some little thing and they're like, that's not how I brush my teeth and you're doing it different. Things that ultimately are such like a blip, like they're not really a method of like true compatibility. Or maybe you do find out something at this time. Mm -hmm. It's possible. But I think there's this stage, the rose colored glasses come off and you're like, okay, this is a real person. And a lot of couples split in this time. And I think if you don't have those communication skills, conflict resolution, honestly, if I didn't do this podcast, like I feel like I wouldn't have even known where to start. Many people can listen to this podcast and hopefully are in just as good of shape. But I think without stuff like this, I would have just been like, oh, a conflict. We're not compatible. Bounce. It's very easy to run, run, run. So what I'm hearing you say is the future Julie would tell your current Julie right now. <laughs> you have a partner who is committed to you and he has shown you that. Mm -hmm. You have a partner who welcomes conflict with you and who does conflict well with you. She's reminding you, the current you. Okay. What else was she? tell you? You know, another key thing. So I was always an anxious dater. And I think a lot of it was I mentioned earlier, if things didn't follow the script that I thought it would yeah. go, and I had these expectations in my mind. And when someone didn't follow through, I expected them to be a mind reader, which you know I've learned over the years, that is definitely not realistic, because why would anyone ever want that pressure? So I got a lot of anxiety when I dated. So when I didn't get that text, I remember too many times I'd be out with friends, like I'd be there physically, but I wouldn't be there mentally because yes. I'd be thinking yes. about it. I remember like uh -huh. going to the bathroom and like checking to see if they texted me. And I mean, even doing some bad stuff like that I was thinking about earlier, like reflecting for this, I'm like, I feel like I've repressed a lot. But there was like even a time that I remember I was waiting for this guy. We had been on like two dates, so I barely knew him at the time. Yet in my mind, he was perfect. Mm -hmm. But of course, this was like based off nothing, right? It was based off superficial qualities. Like I thought he was cute because he was tall. I thought he was smart because he worked at Google. Like I knew nothing else about <laughs> him. I actually even like remember him like talking about his like father passing on the date. And I was just so mm. immature at the time. Like I didn't even know how to like respond. So I just mm. kind of was like, uh... I feel like I, in retrospect, gave him nothing back. To me, though, it was all good on paper. So it was like working. And I mm. just thought like this was going to be something. So then when he kind of didn't text when I thought he was going to, like I freaked out. And I remember even like making out with a guy friend just to get like extra validation that night. Uh huh. Which is like yep. so sad and retrospect. You've probably been there. Yeah. Or it's just like you need that validation. So much of your validation is tied to like if someone texts you or if they make plans. And it's like, this person's a stranger when you really think about it. And funny story, I think I've shared this on the podcast, but we ran into the same guy five yes. years later. Remember we did our dateable event and he was there mm -hmm. randomly. Yep. And yep. he was like, it was and just you like, didn't even remember his thing. name. No, I didn't remember his name. I didn't find him attractive at all. Like it was just such like a blip. But like in the moment, it feels like the world is ending. The anxiety was definitely crippling for me and not getting that text yeah. was that thing for me. And it's one of those things that I've definitely done some work on, like, okay, they could be in a meeting, they could be doing something else that has no indication if they like you or not. Not everyone's a good texter. Some people prefer the phone, all that. I've done all the rationalization, yet it has stayed with me as like the one anxious thing that I have. So with this current partner, I mean, first of all, he was just from day one would like ask me on the date, on the date. So I never had that anxiety because mm -hmm. I always felt like I, where I knew where I stood with him. But you you know, of course, there's going to be some time that I text and he's asleep or like he's doing something. And I told him about this. I'm like, look, like my one thing is that I get anxiety on this. I know it's dumb, but this is like how I am. And I've done all this work, but like this is my one thing. But instead of him like shaming me for it or doing anything bad, like he's like, I want to make you happy. Like I will be extra conscious about this. Yeah. So I think finding someone that one, you feel comfortable sharing 
bearing your insecurities with. I think for so long I thought I had to like get rid of all my insecurities. Mm. And I actually hate attachment theory for this reason is that people like feel like they're flawed when they're anxious or avoidant or whatever and they're striving to be secure before. I've heard some people say like I can't start dating until I am a secure attachment style. Mm-hmm. And that bothers me so much cuz it's one it's like you're it's just you're human, right? <laughs> like you're going to all right. have our things. And it's not that black and white. Like there's a lot of things when I took those quizzes that I was not anxious about in the slightest. Like someone going off and hanging out with their friends, have fun. I don't care at all. But the text message thing, that was something that got me, right? So I don't think it's that black and white. But having the ability to share that with someone, not be judged, also recognizing okay, might not be perfect, but no one is. And I want someone that just appreciates me for my imperfections. Like that was revolutionary. I think the last time I dated as I kind of had this attitude of I have no fucks to give that I didn't have in the past. Finding a partner who not only accepts you, but embraces you for who you are, who says, Mm -hmm. okay, because like knowing you for as long as I've known you, I'm like, Julie likes to text, you know, like this is a thing. And so let's. Oh, my God. Yeah, let's text. And that's like your partner really embraces you for that. And if you meet someone who's like, listen, I really hate texting. And that's great that you need that. And I'm sorry you need that. But I just can't give that to you. That's good to know, too. Right. Up front. This is also something that I know you don't like attachment styles. I don't like love languages for this reason, because I really think love (laughs) languages is just (laughs) dependent on what you're missing in a relationship. It will change based on the person you're with. Right. It's like, no, I don't always need words of affirmation (laughs) when my partner gives me a ton of words of affirmation. Exactly. If that surfaces to the top, it probably means that I do need that in my relationship. Okay. So future Julie would also remind you that your partner embraces you for who you are and also is willing to work on these maybe insecurities and anxious behaviors with you. Yeah, I want to say one thing from what you just said, because it definitely made me think about it was this texting thing, right? It seems like Mm -hmm. it's such an insignificant part of relationships. But I think it does go deeper. Like one, can the person meet you where you're at? Like even if they're not a text, are they willing to do it because they know it makes you happy? And it's important to you, not even just happy, but like feeling secure. Mm -hmm. I think that's number one. But also, you know, in today's world, texting is so important. That is our primary mode of communication a lot of times. And I still appreciated that like at the beginning stages, even now, if we aren't together, then I know that he's going to be responsive and quick and do that because one, that's the way he is, but also because he knows it's important to me. Mm -hmm. And I had partners in the past that I would justify like, oh, they're just not a big texter. I remember like it was like pulling teeth to get my ex, the one that had to go to the UK to do a video call. Like It was like pulling teeth. We're like my partner now, like anytime we've been apart, if I was on a work trip or we were traveling separately, he's like, oh, let's do video calls. Like, it's so easy. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm like, oh, you're ready to do a call? Yeah, let me be on in two minutes. Like, it's not a struggle, right? Mm -hmm. And I think finding someone where it's not a struggle is so important. I know. It sounds so simple, but it's not so simple. It's like, it doesn't, the simplicity of it is what makes it complicated. Because in your mind, you're like, why is it so hard to text back? Why is it so hard to hop on a video call? Yeah. I think when we did that podcast with Alana Dunn last season Mm -hmm. about is it anxiety or chemistry, it finally clicked for me Mm. because people would say, I remember we had Meredith, one of our guests from last season that asked me, she's like, oh, you talked about your partner a lot, but you never talked about like, what was it that like drew you to him? And I'm Mm. like, oh, it's interesting that one people even care, but that's a good point. I haven't talked about it. One was that we just got along really well. Like we didn't stop talking on the date and we haven't since. So there's that piece. And then the other part was consistency, I would always say, that he was just consistent. When he said he was going to text, he texted. When he made plans, we went out. Like, there was no questioning Mm -hmm. of any of it. And then I was like, oh, I feel like consistent is like a weird adjective to give someone of like why you like them. And I don't want it to be like, the only reason I like my partner is because he's consistent. And that's not the (laughs) reason at all. You know what I mean? Like, it sounds weird. But like, I think what I realized, one, when you're consistent, you're not thinking about all 
the logistics of dating. You're not thinking about like, when are they going to text me back? When are they going to ask me out again? Do they like me? You're not thinking about that. You're just getting to know them as a person. And that's when relationships start to form. So when all those roadblocks are gone, that's when you actually connect with people. Mm. So it wasn't necessarily that he like, it was that he was consistent. That was important to me. But the consistency allowed for us to connect on that deeper level. I think consistency is huge because all the dating questions y'all send us oh yeah they're all around consistency it's like (laughs) someone's not texting back someone's not saying this someone's not doing this it's the consistency that's driving y'all nuts so having someone who is constantly there for you who is able to deliver on their promise even something as simple as I'll call you tomorrow. Right. Is a, such a big deal in our society today. And that's so sad to me because back in the it day before yeah. cell phones, <laughs> if you said you were going to call someone, you had to call them at that right. time. You couldn't text them to be like, sorry, right. I, I can't do it. I'm sad, but I'm also glad that you are able to find someone consistent. That is a good word to keep in mind, though. I remember, I mean, we had Dr. Abigail Lev on our podcast, Mm -hmm. the Schemas episode, How You're Wired for Relationships. If you haven't listened to that one yet, that was, I would say that was probably our most popular episode ever in terms of number of listens. And it was really fascinating. We talked about schemas, which are basically your beliefs about how you Mm -hmm. view the world that are coming from your upbringing, come from your interactions. How you're wired. Yeah, how you're wired. And I found out fear of abandonment was a big one for me. And we did this exercise with her when we did the sounding board. And she basically turned our schemas into what traits are you looking for in a partner? Mm -hmm. And that's when it registered that consistency was one. And honestly, that was something I was never looking for before Mm -hmm. this time of dating, ever. And that was a game changer for me because, you know, my ex he was anything but consistent though Mm -hmm. we had on again off again relationship it was like basically the opposite of consistency for a while i wasn't focused on that i was like he's super charismatic i have a lot of fun with him all this stuff that was more superficial and i think this time around after we broke up i had this like revelation of okay I have different things I'm looking for now. Mm -hmm. And when I was dating, I actually feel like I got rejected more than ever before. And I also let people go quicker than ever before because I, one, just put myself out there in the sense that I showed up as my authentic self and was kind of like, you either like it or you don't, opposed to in the past where I might have had more of this like date version of me show up. So there was that piece. But then also consistency, like if I didn't see it, I was out. I don't know if you remember this, UA, but I had this guy that I was talking to while I was in Boston. This was winter of 2020. I was back home. I was like, Mm -hmm. thought we were in love Mm -hmm. through text. I was like, oh my God, UA, like, I think this is it, which is so stupid. What do you think? (laughs) (laughs) Talk about getting ahead of yourself. But okay, it was mutual. Like He was going to come meet me at the airport. Like it was like this all the time. Anyways, of course, as soon as I fly back, the shift happens. All of a Mm. sudden, this guy doesn't have any time to meet up. Super busy at work, has these family issues. We never met up in person. I still to this day don't know who he is. But he was like kind of stringing it along still, like not being super responsive. But like when he was, he's like, I'm trying to find a time, but just couldn't pull together an hour to meet up. I basically was like, this isn't what I want, right? Like, this shouldn't be that difficult. Like, if someone wants to meet you, they want to meet you. If they don't, they don't. And of course, life happens. I don't want to say there's nothing ever in the way. But at the end of the day, that's bad timing. And that means that wasn't your person. We always say, is it the person or is it timing? But I think wrong time equals wrong person. We saw it with our episode with Amy, our season finale for this past season and her Mm -hmm. relationship with her now husband, Will, even in that, it's like, yeah, they had mutual feelings for each other, but doesn't mean that they always were there for each other. That's why the relationship didn't take off for a while. When you don't mutually Mm -hmm. show up for each other, you're not right for each other. Even though they ended up together, they were completely different people at the end when they did get together. I think we have to stay open to that. It's like, there's no such thing as the one that got away because the one that got away was not the right person for you. But the reason why they ended up together is because she went on and did her life. She didn't sit there like waiting for him. And I think that was where I was coming at when I actually told this guy it was not in a mean way at all. 
I basically was like, hey, I'm at a point of life that I'm looking for someone that has the time to meet up. Exactly. If this isn't you right now, that's totally fine, but I'm going to move on. And if it becomes you, then like you can reach out. But I'm not sitting there like waiting for this person. And I think so many times in my past, I waited for people that weren't showing me. There weren't any signs that they actually could do what I wanted. But I just had this fantasy of them. There was this guy early on when I moved to San Francisco is when I first used Match. This was pre-Tinder. And I was like in love with this guy. And when I really look at how many times we went out on dates, like this went on for eight months, but I would say it was probably like a handful of five or six times we actually went out. Mm -hmm. Most of it was through email, which was super weird. He never had time to meet up. He was too busy at work, but he would send me these emails all the time. He kept me on the hook and I stayed on the hook. Mm -hmm. So this time around, I'm like, I'm not going to be on the hook. And of course, this guy, I found finally like grew the courage to be like I want a relationship with you of course through email because I never saw him which should have been a sign and I said that to him he's like I'm not in the right place to be in a relationship I haven't been in a relationship since college like I'm just this is I'm not a relationship person like the whole thing a month later I see a photo of him on Facebook oh he's in a relationship Uh. I think he's actually married to this woman now which is you know all good but like you can't stick around for that person no The waiting game doesn't do you or them any good. All it is is delaying you from meeting the right person for you. They have no respect for you either. (laughs) Yeah, and that's unfortunate that sometimes we don't recognize that. We're like, well, at least they're still emailing me. You know, they're still in contact with me. We like settle for the bare minimum thinking that's Mm -hmm. what respect is. Oh, yeah. Unacceptable. So here's the thing for people who are listening to this, because I think it's good to hear about finding someone who's right for you and being in a relationship where your partner meets you and embraces you. But I can also see from someone's point of view where they're like, how do you find this person? Feels like a needle in the haystack, right? It feels like how many people do I have to go through in order to find this person? (laughs) What are some like words of wisdom you can offer to anybody who's struggling with that? I used to think about that too. I used to really be like, okay, I have to find someone that communicates well. I have to find someone I'm attracted to, someone that has a good job. It just feels like you're getting narrower and narrower as you Mm -hmm. add in different qualities. We had Nikki Novo, the medium on our podcast, and she did a reading that changed my life of just, you know, your person's around the corner. Mm -hmm. But I also see that you have the potential to get jaded because you're going to go through a rough period of dating and a lot of them aren't going to work out but you need to really like know yourself to the point that you can realize if someone's a good fit or not get rid of the people that aren't and be okay with it knowing that you have that hope that that person is still around the corner so I think that was really important for me you know you can believe in mediums or not I'm not going to go into that but I think the maintaining hope is so important so that's just a first kind of caveat But I think the other part that she said of knowing yourself so well is really important too. I've talked to friends about this and people on this podcast too of like, oh, but we're supposed to be super open-minded. That means like we let everyone in. And I think it's important to be open-minded of the package they show up in, but maybe be a little more fine-tuned about what it is that's important to you and know yourself well enough to understand what type of person you jive with. That period that I mentioned that I was dating a lot and things really weren't working out. Like there were times that I got rejected, but we always say rejection is just redirection. And I think some of it, I was open-minded that even if it wasn't a great first date, I was willing to go on the second date and see what they revealed. So there was a piece of that. I don't regret that. The other part where there were times that I'm like, okay, I don't feel good around this person. Or, you know, maybe they have everything on paper that I'm looking for, but just... this gut that I feel like isn't right. Right. So I think I actually changed the criteria I was looking for, though. Like I mentioned a little earlier, I had certain things that were important to me in the past that just weren't anymore. But the things that were, were actually more important for a long-term relationship. So it was easier to see who could stand out from the crowd. 
in the past, I would get hung up on the person that looks good on the apps and maybe they weren't texting consistently, but I would still stick around to see what happened. I think a lot of people do this. It's like, oh, this hot prospect on the app, this is such a potential, but it's like you don't know anything about this person besides their resume. Right. And they're actually not a good potential if they have no follow through. So I think that was a big thing for me is I let those people go. So yeah, like it feels like a needle in the haystack, but you're basically just narrowing in on the important stuff, but then opening up for the stuff that doesn't matter as much. Mm. Especially with this podcast, this notion of how do you feel around this person. I will say Connor Beaton when we had him on the podcast. That was when I was in the thick of that uh-huh. conversation. Remember, he gave me like an on-the-fly therapy session? Yes. And that was when I was going through that situation with that guy that was hot and heavy while I was in Boston and then disappeared when I returned. And I remember we talked so much about feeling. And I remember coming out of that conversation, I'm like, this doesn't feel good. Like, I don't feel good, like, waiting around for this person that is being super inconsistent, showing that like, I don't need to be like the number one priority before we met, but it still should be a priority to meet you. So that's when I learned to let that person go. I actually think the biggest mistake people make when they're dating, and this is what held me back for so long, is holding on to the wrong people. Mm -hmm. So it's not that like it's finding the needle in the haystack. It's that you're focused on people that actually aren't what you want and what you know is good for you in a relationship, but you're trying to make something work with someone where it just can't work. Yeah. Forcing things to happen or convincing someone that you're right for them. Oh my God. Never works either. Yes. This feeling of winning. I was definitely guilty of that. Let's hold that thought for a quick message. This episode is brought to you by Apostrophe. This new year, I've committed to kicking it off right by finding small ways to help me look and feel my best. Taking care of my skin is a huge part of my new commitment to self-love and self-care. That's why I'm excited to partner with Apostrophe, the sponsor of this episode. Whether you're dealing with breakouts, signs of aging, or acne scarring, Apostrophe's mission is to empower you and help you feel confident and comfortable in the skin you're in. Apostrophe is an online platform that connects you with an expert dermatology team to get customized acne treatment for your unique skin. Simply fill out an online consultation, snap a few selfies, and a board-certified dermatologist will create your initial customized treatment plan. My products came with detailed instructions and also explanations of each ingredient. Lucky for you all, we have a special deal for our audience. Get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com datable when you use our code datable. That's a savings of $15. This code is only available to our listeners. Again, go to apostrophe.com slash datable and use our code D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E. What about someone, let's say they've listened to every episode of Datable, they truly believe that their person's out there. But now the question is, how do you put all this into practice without turning it into a numbers game? How many people do you really have to go through to narrow in on what it is that you're looking for. I do think it's a numbers game in the sense like you have to meet some people. If you don't meet anyone, then things aren't going to work. But I don't think you need to go on hundreds of dates. I think all that does is exhaust you. The times that I went on hundreds of dates, that's when I couldn't get past a third date because you also have the mentality of someone else is around the corner. I remember being on a date and like in the bathroom using Tinder, like swiping to find someone new to talk to or checking in on my messages. And I think that can actually really prevent you from really getting to know someone. So I actually think the times personally when I've had the most success is when I was dating less people. And you might be asking, like, how do you know what you're looking for? I think you can tap into your friends, your family members. Like, who is it that you come alive around? Like, what qualities of them are important? I was talking to one of our mutual friends the other day, and she was saying, like, she's looking for someone funny. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? Because, like, funny can be, like, a lot of different things. You're saying that you're turned off by this sarcasm that this person's doing. So maybe you need to get, like, more specific of like what it is that funny means to you. So looking at like who it is in your life that you feel the most you around is really important because then I think you can recognize when you see that person quickly you might not know that they're like the one on date one that's for sure like that's impossible but at least you'll know that there's someone that's worth investing in like my partner was not fireworks on date one we just got along really well and I knew like this is someone that I felt good around felt like a good version of myself 
So when he asked to go out again, it was like a no-brainer. I think you made a really good distinction earlier, and I want to bring it back, which is knowing what are superficial qualities and knowing what mm -hmm. are qualities that matter to you. And I think when we talk about like, oh, don't look at only the superficial qualities, people think of height and looks and how much money they make and what are they like on paper. But I think you're also saying superficial qualities are things like you're looking for someone funny. That's a superficial quality. Yeah. And if you were to go deeper, what's deeper than finding someone funny is, let's say I'm looking for someone who can look at the positive things in life and make me feel valued or someone who can really turn a heavier situation into a lighter situation so we can be more optimistic about life. Like that could be a funny yeah. quality that goes beyond the superficial. What are some other things that in your years of dating that you thought, okay, this was something superficial. I realized I don't need mm -hmm. that. I'm looking for this instead. The funny thing is a big one. Like you don't need a stand-up comic. <laughs> no. You need someone that you can enjoy being around, right? right? Like there's a difference. Like I don't need all my friends to think my partner is the funniest person in the world. I just need to laugh with them and have inside jokes and feel like my quirky self with mm -hmm, them. So that's mm -hmm. one piece. Another one I was really hung up on was where they worked and what mm. school they went to. Mm -hmm. And I think ultimately it's more for me... I want someone that I respect. It's someone that I can engage in conversation that's stimulating, that's interesting. Like, I think that's what it is at the core. It's not necessarily what school they went to. Yes. I feel like I was probably missing potentially people by having those filters. And when you have so many superficial qualities, that's when it becomes a needle in the haystack. What if, though, going off that, I can hear someone listening to this and saying, but what if I've worked so hard on myself yeah. to have these qualities? Yeah. Don't I deserve to have someone who <laughs> also embodies these qualities? I've worked on my body. I've worked on my education. I've worked on my career. I'm that, 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 blah, blah. Shouldn't I also look for someone who's A, B, and C? I think that's exactly what it is, though. Like, it's not that you're sacrificing these qualities. You're just looking to see if they show up in a different way mm. than you might have thought they did. I think attraction's a good one, right? Like, you think you need someone that goes to the gym all the time. I find that a lot of people that have these qualities that they think are so important, they don't necessarily embody themselves. Mm -hmm. Maybe they have a good job, but you know, it doesn't mean that someone that works in a different industry doesn't also have a good job. Mm-hmm. I remember we had an episode with your friend Dave. Do you remember this? A yes. long time ago. And he was really hung up on like someone that didn't work in the film industry. Yes. And we were talking to him and we're like, this person brings value in other ways. It doesn't mean that they're not smart because they don't do the carbon copy yeah. of what you do. If you've worked all these years, yeah, like you should be with someone that you feel is smart. If you don't, then you're not going to respect them and that's not a good situation. Right. But I don't think they need to be exactly like you or the way that you think it is to actually accomplish that. Okay, so then the flip side of that is, let's say, what if I'm still working on myself? I'm looking for someone with these qualities. I'm not anywhere near those qualities yet, but I'm working on those things. Should I get myself to a place where I feel good about myself before I start dating? Or should I just start dating now? Yeah. I mean, if you really truly do not feel good about yourself, like take the time to work through that. Because if you don't feel good about yourself, like that's going to come out in looking for validation through others. It's going to manifest in certain ways. So I do think you need to generally feel good about yourself. That being said, we see people that feel like they have to get every aspect of their lives in order yeah. before they start dating. And I don't think that's realistic either. And you don't have to be 100% quote unquote healthy mm -hmm. to have a healthy relationship. What I've learned, especially in the pandemic times, like we all have some mental health things going on. Like yes. if someone says they have zero, then they're just unaware or lying. Like we all have something. So if you feel like you're not fully there yet can you find someone that will grow with you right right okay so we're getting past the scarcity mindset like if you had your own personal medium you can just say your person's right around the corner 
you will have to go through some shit yeah. to get to them and it'll be worth it. OK, yeah. we got there. We talked about this numbers game and how it's not a numbers game, but you still need to get yourself out there in order to practice your relational skills. That's very important. Yes. And once you are in a somewhat of a relationship, the start of a relationship, I feel like this is like the do or die period for a lot of people, too. How can you be present in a relationship, but also feel like your relationship is progressing? I think it's checking in with yourself, too. I'd say being present in the moment is super important because we don't want to be just fixating on all these milestones because that's like the future, right? Showing up to every date, just curious, like I want to get to know this person more. But let's say you're on date three. Things are going well. You've made it to the third date. The fourth date's coming up. That's pretty good in today's world, which is sad, but mm -hmm. it is. A lot of dates yeah. don't go past date one or two. That being said, you have to still be realistic. Like, I'm still getting to know this person. Right. There might be something that doesn't work for me. Hopefully it's not. Hopefully, like, we keep going at it is. But if it does come up, it doesn't mean that I'm a failure or our relationship is a failure. We just learned something that wasn't compatible. Or it's an opportunity for you two to work through it and see, can we get through this? And can we navigate conflict? together. And if we can, then okay, this is great. Like this can have more legs to potentially be something. If we can't navigate that conflict, then another data point. I think just like checking in with yourself after these dates, like how do I feel around this person? Is this in line with what I want? That's why I think it is important having a North Star of like, you know, a relationship can mean different things to different people. Some people see their partner one time a week. What is it that you're actually looking for? That being said, there might be some parts that are different. I don't think you need to be 100% tied to your vision. Again, it's another chance to check in and say like, okay, is this important to me? Is this an area that I can compromise on? So I would say it's staying present while you're with them, getting to know them, but also staying present with yourself of like, is this what I actually want? When you find your previous self creeping back up, do you have any like tools or mantras <laughs> that you do to help you snap out of it? What's your process with that? I think actually I approach it very different than I used to. So in the past, like I would go to my friends or I would get in my head and now I just get it out with them and talk about it. Mm. So I actually think I'm trying to not necessarily deal with it the way I once did. In the past, if I felt anxious, I would go around the block, take a walk, cool off. Uh -huh. And while that is something I still could do, it's not like I'll never go take a walk and try to center. Yeah. But I feel comfortable saying like, this is making me uncomfortable right now. I would rather stay true to myself and what I need in a relationship, give my partner the opportunity to meet me or compromise again, like if it's something I can give on or, you know, if we had a part ways because I'm not getting my needs met and that's like more important than suppressing them. Right. So you're saying like a commitment that you are making in a relationship is really first and foremost a commitment to yourself. It's like I'm committing that I will always honor my needs, listen to myself, express my needs and my feelings. And I promise I commit to not repressing these feelings in a relationship. And when I do feel like the need to do so, mm -hmm. then maybe I need to reevaluate my relationship. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that I'm not committed to my partner. I think actually, right. it's, in a way, it's more committed to them. It is. Because they yes. know where they stand. Yes. Like the worst thing, and I've done this before, <laughs> is you repress it. And then you snap, right? Because you're yeah. upset about something that you haven't shared for months and months. That is worse because this person is totally taken off guard. They don't see it coming. In their mind, everything's going well. I think that's so much worse. You know, sometimes we put things out there and it's a miscommunication and I interpreted mm -hmm. something different than it was. That happens. But also there are times that, you know, I put it out there and it can be uncomfortable. Like you started this conversation. This is like the most real I've been. And I do think that's true. Do you see Michelle Obama put something up about like her relationship with Barack? No. It's so powerful. So this is what she said. As an adult, I've lived in a number of places, but as far as I'm concerned, I've only ever had one real home. My home is my family. My home is Barack. And here's the thing. Our marriage has never been perfectly 50-50. One of us always needing more or giving more. 
We have to be willing to listen to each other honestly without defensiveness. Only then can we evolve together. Over the years, a lot of young people have asked me about marriage, and my response usually goes something like this. You have to prepare yourself for long stretches of discord and discomfort. You have to learn how to make real compromises in the way you've lived as individuals. Glamorizing a relationship while you're dating will lead you straight to difficulty once you're married. You can't paper over problems when you're living with someone day in, day out. So you have got to ask yourself, what are you truly going to get out of this relationship? Have you truly thought it through? Do you want a wedding or do you want a lifelong partner? These are two different things. Together, you're answering the question, who are we and who do we want to be? That's the difference between rom-com <laughs> and doing life together with someone for real. I wish more people, though, were open that it's hard because like I actually feel like this is the most healthy relationship I've ever been in. And it's still mm -hmm. hard. <laughs> like I was oh, saying yeah. earlier, you're bringing two people that have different life views together. Like there's no way you're going to be 100% in lockstep all the time. And I also think that we know how to exit out of things. We know how to run. Yeah. We know how to end things, but we don't know how to like sustain something. That's what's the hardest yeah. thing about a relationship is you learn while you're doing it. But it's so much easier to just shut that door and be like, nope, not dealing with this. It's tempting too. I would say that's like definitely something that I struggle with is like that it's easier to do that. But I know that isn't really what I want. Yeah. And I think that's like a reminder that you have to keep telling yourself like this isn't what I want. In the moment, you're avoiding the discomfort, but is this actually giving you the relationship and the life that you're looking for? Well, to wrap up this episode, I want to present a case study for you, and I want to see how you <laughs> respond, what your analysis of the situation is. It's a very scientific case study based on a very deep and well-thought-out show called Bachelor in Paradise. <laughs> I'm going to give you yours on Fuckboy Island. I can't wait. <laughs> it's deeply profound and has really helped me through a lot of my relationship woes. Anyway, here's a case study. So as part of Bachelor in Paradise, in case anybody doesn't know the premise of the show, and I'll do this for you too, Julie, is like you have all these cast offs from the Bachelor and Bachelorette seasons. They come on to Paradise. They have to basically get to know each other, couple up. And in order to stay on the island, they give each other roses and you only get roses if you're like in a couple, right? But every once in a while, they introduce new people onto the island. So you could have a relationship with someone okay. and that new person asks out your partner and your partner can either accept or stay with you just to go on a date. Okay. So this happened twice to two different couples, two solid, seemingly solid couples. And both of them were the guy and the girl in the relationship. A new guy gets introduced onto the island and is interested in the girl in the relationship. Asks her out. She then pulls her partner aside and says, what do you think I should do? Both of these couples, the guy said, I respect you. I do not own you. You make your own decisions. I mm -hmm. wouldn't love it if you went on this date with someone, but it is your ultimately up to you. I do not make that decision for you. And both those times, the women freaked the fuck out, freaked the fuck out and said, you okay. should have said, you do not go. I will not allow you to go <laughs> because I like you so much. You didn't fight for me because of that. I'm going to go on this date. Happened twice. Two different couples. Go. What's your analysis on something like that? UA, I haven't even told you this yet, but I just, you know, I just came back from New York and I had this exact conversation with one of our mutual friends. Shut up. With a guy, the situation she's in, and her <laughs> girlfriend felt the same way as these couples, that it was mm. just like, this guy should have fought for her and like, mm. this doesn't mean he likes her because he feels like he's not like telling them that this is her, their property and like, get off, right? Mm. And she asked my partner and I what we thought and we were both like I think he's right like he basically said something along the lines of like I know we're a solid match if you want to go explore other things that's okay but I know mm. I have confidence in what we are and I know 
ultimately will end up together. Mm. And I actually thought what he said was really confident. And this situation was they hadn't been on many dates, similar to like this, you know, uh-huh. Bachelor barely know each situation. other. Yep. Uh-huh. Barely know each other. I mean, this is part of the game, right? On this show. So yep. like, let's be honest, that's part of the whole thing. It's one of those things in early dating until both people are like, we are committed to doing this and we're going to be exclusive. We're going to define the relationship. Yeah, it would suck if you're like the person you liked was dating someone else, but like you really have no claim on them. No. And I think this whole treating someone like your property, it could be in the moment it could feel good. Like, oh, this person's really into me. But I think actually long term, you want the person that gives you that independence and that feels like they don't own you and that they feel like, hey, like I'm confident in what we got. And if you need more time to figure it out, go for it. But I'm good. I know this is what I'm looking for and I'm going to stay committed to this. Like that is ultimately what you want. And I think you can't control other people. So yeah, it would suck if the person you liked was dating other people. But if they're still in the mentality that they want to explore, this guy said something similar. And I felt like this before. It's like if hypothetically someone I was with wanted to explore and they found someone that was so much a better fit for them. Why would I want to be with them, right? Like you right. want to be with the person that feels like you're the best fit for them. Right. Like you don't want someone that's constantly like, oh, is there someone else out there? Like let that person go on the date. I've had this happen to friends before. They've gone on the date. They've realized like, hey, this other person I'm dating is pretty freaking special. Like sometimes you're just, you need that extra time. Right. It doesn't indicate anything. I just feel like this example sums up how fucked up our dating culture is right now. For all that we've done for women's rights, why is it we're still stuck? These are like 25-year-olds saying this, wanting their men to possess them, to say, I'm staking my My friends were close to 40. (laughs) It's like, why are we still stuck in that mentality and also expecting these guys to tell them what they want to hear, like being mind readers? And these men are treading so lightly on this and trying to say the right things, and but they both got yeah. fucked over from it. Right. Why are we here still? Well, I think it's a few things. I mean, I think it's society's portrayal of like men. Mm-hmm right? Like they should be alpha. They should fight for what's theirs. All these like myths essentially that the men are the aggressors and they're the ones like they go after what they want. And if they're not going after you, then they don't like you. I think first of all, the world has changed a lot. Two, you're bucketing every single man, woman, whoever into one category. Like everyone is a human being that processes things differently. Like that's just not It can't be that general. So I think there's a lot of societal norms on men that they fight for what they want. So when you don't feel like the guy's fighting for you, at least with hetero relationships, I think we're really victim to this as hetero women because like we're told like the prince is going to come save us and they'll move mountains to get us. And then when that doesn't happen, we equate it to they're not that into us or they don't like us enough. Right. Yeah, I think it's a societal thing and gendered roles is really what it boils down to. Do you have any theories of what you think it is? It's like the whole, someone likes you, they'll fight for you. And that's our concept of fighting is if they stake their claim on you. But also men are being fed a different language, a different school of thought, which is like, set your woman free. She is independent. She can make her own decisions. Do not make decisions for her. So we've got like two competing schools of thought and they're just not jiving well. It's like we're not moving forward in society. We keep competing with each other with these thoughts. I think this is like the old versus the new. Like this comes up all the time. Like even the example of paying on a date, right? Right. It's just like this new versus old mentality that we are so in conflict with. I know. And that's why we love doing this podcast, because there's just so much. (laughs) There's so much to talk about. Yes. So much to unlearn, which is the major learning from this episode with you, Julie. Any final piece of advice for anybody who is just feeling stuck and they feel like something is getting in their way? What's a final piece of advice you'd give them? I think it's just confidence in trusting that it's going to work out the way it should work Mm. out. It will happen. It might not be overnight, but it will happen for you. 
it hurts me so much when people have like a, someone that goes to them or sends a dick pic or something bad <laughs> on a dating app and then they delete all the apps. Yeah. And it's like we can't let other people get in the way of what we're looking for. Like the yes. next person you swipe on could be amazing. And it's just having the confidence to say like, I'm going to do me and that's yes. looking for someone that's on the same page of a relationship, then keep going. We can't let other people take us off course. Mm -hmm. And we also have to remember that we're all catches. And I know that sounds so like cliche, but I think a lot of times we forget that. Like we're so focused on getting that next date or making this person like us. And I was victim of this for years. But like, what do you bring to the table? Like if you right. have friends, if you have family members that love you, like you bring something to the table, like ask them what it is. Like maybe sometimes you have to hear from other people, but keep that in mind of like, I'm awesome. Like someone's lucky to meet me. He gives too much power over to other people in the dating process. So true. Love hearing that. And your partner's very lucky to have you. He knows he that, is. but I'm reminding him. <laughs> but I'm lucky also, right? Yeah. <laughs> we are constantly evolving human beings and we're constantly learning on this podcast. So what are some of your biggest takeaways to our listeners? Tag us on Instagram with your biggest takeaways or any action items that Julie inspired you to do. Tag us on Instagram at Dateable Podcast. <laughs> we mostly check Instagram. And also you can email us hello at datablepodcast.com with your thoughts, your questions, or suggestions for future episodes. We are still very much working on season 16. We're going to kick that off very soon next month. But in the meantime, we'll just keep giving you all content along the way. It's going to be a fun ride. Yeah. And I mean, we also have our new newsletter that we just mm. launched. So make sure to sign up. We are going to be breaking up with bad dating behavior and habits. Yes. And I think this conversation and next week's conversation when the tables are turned and I interview UA, then we are going to really dissect like all the things that are really getting in all of our way and look at like, how do we stop? How do we say goodbye to these aspects that do not serve us and start finding the right people and start falling in love? I think you and I are both sick of hearing about how much modern dating sucks. Yes. And like, it doesn't have to. A lot of this stuff stems from like deep, deep down in our society and just the culture overall. But we want to kind of take it layer by layer and start to unpeel. So this is a completely free newsletter. It's really us trying to like distill some learnings, get you to reflect. There might be homework assignments. I hate using homework assignments, but opportunities to, <laughs> you know, dig a little deeper within yourself. So make sure to sign up. Go to datablepodcast.com and go to our Facebook group any way that you can get on this mailing list. And yeah, like I mentioned next week, I will be doing the interview with UA. So if you want to hear about all of her past dating habits, behaviors, challenges, what she's learned, how she's broken free from all of it, <laughs> then tune in next week. All right, wrapping up this episode. Stay dateable. The Dateable Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcast. Want to continue the conversation? First, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter with the handle at Dateable Podcast. Tag us in any post with the hashtag stay dateable and trust us, we look at all of those posts. Then head over to our website, datablepodcast.com. There you'll find all the episodes as well as articles, videos, and our coaching service with vetted industry experts. You can also find our premium Y series where we dissect, analyze, and offer solutions to some of the most common dating conundrums. We're also downloadable for free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Overcast, Stitcher Radio, and other podcast platforms. Your feedback is valuable to us, so don't forget to leave us a review. And most importantly, remember to stay dateable.